guest today is author of Our War, Volumes 1 and Volumes 2, which we're going to get into here in a little bit, Richard Maverick. What's going on, man? Not much. How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I thanks for having me. me. The books. Yeah, of course. Um, I think you've sent you you've sent me both of them. Um, yeah. And golly, I loved the first one. I really did. I loved the second one too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't. But um, <laughs> you know, I loved the grittiness and kind of it was it was post-apocalyptic like but not like that so far that it was like walking dead or anything crazy like that. It felt real. It felt like it was, uh, it was really happening. And, and we'll talk about, you know, the actual context of it without giving away too much here in a second. But first, uh, why don't you tell, you know, uh, those listening, you know, kind of who you are, where you're from, what your background is. Um, my name is Richard Maverick. Um, I've, Actually, my background is more uh, sales. Um, I actually spent pretty much the last 30 years doing gun shows alongside my dad. Um, and through that, um, I've, man, the, the, the conspiracy theories that I've heard over the years are just phenomenal. Um, I'm from upstate New York. I mean, we're, we're in the gorgeous part of the state. I mean, the, the house I was living in at the time, when I started book one, we had an 80 acre backyard. Wow. So th this is not New York like people think it is. This is, this is wine country. Um, Welch's started down, uh, in, I believe, started in Westfield. I could be wrong on that, but I know they had a, a office in Westfield, New York, which is part of my old stomping ground. I used to hang out there with, with a bunch of guys when I was in high school. So um, beyond that, I. I could always tell a story. I guess I come along with uh, being in sales um, and being in the military surplus business. I tested a lot of the stuff and played with a lot of the stuff that I was selling. So I always had a good story to go with it. So did your dad own a gun store? <laughs> we had a gun store for when I was a kid, actually, when I was um, still real tiny, my parents had a gun store and we ended up getting back into guns in new york state around i want to say 2010 um and then we got out of it uh, right before right after my daughter was born in 2015 actually okay so long history of being around firearms of course that yep. lends to a lot of the nature of the book um both books actually so um for those that haven't read it, you need to go pick it up. It's called Our War, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, volume 2 is going to be out this November, though. Yep, November 7th. November 7th. So by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be available to order. You can go pre-order it now. Can, can you pre-order it? Yes, yes. Okay. Available to Yep, available for pre-sale right now on Amazon. Awesome. So um, growing up around firearms, what was your favorite firearm? Um, it's actually funny because when I was a kid, um, you know, I, uh, BB guns, I had a great time with BB guns as a kid. Oh yeah. And when I got into high school, it turned into football and girls and <laughs> well, it was for everybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And 
at the end of high school, I joined the military for a very brief uh, amount of time. I ended up blowing out my right knee, and that was the end of it. Um, so I got some hands-on with M16s, M249s. Um, and it was later in life where I really started finding my my love for firearms and firearms training. So right now, favorite would probably uh in New York State's politically correct environment, my favorite would probably be my my SIG 365 uh XL that I carry daily. Yep, that's what I carry. I have the uh red dot on it as well. I'm debating it. I really want one. Um, but I just haven't haven't flipped the money for one of those yet. I'm glad I did it because um it really improved my shooting. I know mm-hmm. some people kind of think, oh, you know, an optic on a pistol's cheating, but you know what? Um, I don't. If you ain't cheating, you ain't winning. Yeah, there's no such thing <laughs> as a fair fight. So no, <laughs> you know, um, I put the red dot on there, and then I put it on my MMP 45, which I've always struggled mm-hmm. to shoot. Um, I put a red dot on it, and I immediately started shooting it better. So then I put a light on the end of it. Um, and I, it kind of balanced the weight. And oh my gosh, now, mm-hmm. now I shoot the shoot it even better, better than any anything in my gun safe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and normally I wouldn't put a light on there just because just I don't know I don't really like lights. But uh, I I keep a light primarily on the nightstand gun, um, which for the longest time Glock nineteen. Um, I have. De- Baited getting one of the smaller uh, streamlights for the SIG. Mm. And f- for, again, because it's my everyday carry gun. So, uh, and they, they've made the technology on the lights has gotten so much better that putting a, a small 500 loom torch on the bottom of it. And it yeah, still isn't. Kind of the, the old flashlights that were this big around yeah. sticking <laughs> off the bottom of it. Now they're using LED lights and they can get them pretty bright in a very small. Uh-huh device <laughs> but yeah they used to just, just look like a you know a really fat cigar sticking off the bottom of uh-huh. it. <laughs> and you're like okay this is this is inconvenient <laughs> <laughs> i think my uh my like all-time favorite would be the remington 870 great great guns I grew uh, up with it. um shot plenty of doves with it um mm-hmm. Bruised my shoulder more times than I can count with it, you know, shooting skeet or trap. Um, yep. Because on a budget, you can't, you know. You can't be, you can't be the shotgun for a budget gun. Not at all. No, it's excellent. And um, I still, well, I don't have the one when I was, uh, when I was a kid. I don't have it anymore. But it was, the 870 was my first gun that I bought when I could legally buy my own firearm mm-hmm. from Walmart. <laughs> Back when a lot of the Walmart sold firearms and they didn't you know, pull them off the shelves and all that, but yeah, bought an eight seventy from Walmart and uh, actually uh, I took the wood stocks off and I painted it black with that uh, with that textured painting that you can mm-hmm. do the uh, the inside of your truck bed with the truck bed liner. Yep. Okay. Now it's now it's waterproof and indestructible. <laughs> nice. I uh, my first purchase i think was a mossberg 500 um that's what that was the shotgun i grew up with though too um i actually have my uh 
the one that I, I took honey and it was an old 16 gauge Mossberg 500. I absolutely love that platform. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot like the 870. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as that goes, they're, they're just, they're rugged. They take a beating. Yeah. Indestructible. Um, yeah, that, that 16 gauge, I think is so old. I'm pretty certain I, I couldn't find a serial number on it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been around. I think it's like, been around a while. If I really, well, I, I take that back. I love my 870. It's probably one of my favorites. If I was to say like a, a favorite, favorite, like I would say my, uh, my grandpa's Marlin 3030. Oh, you can't beat those. The the old Marlins were phenomenal. Yeah, with the uh, lever action, like mm-hmm. I think that's probably my most prized firearm because it has a lot of meaning to it. It was my grandfather's. Mm-hmm. He took it hunting. It's a great brush gun, you know, and it's been in the family forever. I think when I did research on it, the serial date was like, I think it was like back in '73. So wow, yeah, it's got some history. It's been around. It. Yeah, so it's. And it's in, it's immaculate too. Like I don't know how mm-hmm. it's so immaculate. Probably because my uncle had it, and you know, just setting out a gun safe. But yeah, I love that thing. That is a uh, eight seventy and the Marlin. You know, that thirty thirty. You just and you can't and you can't beat their performance from either one of them. Right. Good all around everything. Guns. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So um, let's talk. Let's talk research. Uh, before we get into the book, um, first of all, when did you when did you start writing? When did this idea come about? The idea for this book actually came about long before I started writing it. Uh, I started writing in 2017. Finally, um, I had the idea to do it, but I couldn't seem to uh, connect the dots, if you will, with it. Um, you read the first one, you know, it's extremely non-political, mm-hmm. uh, minus a minor rant in the very beginning. Yep. Uh, but the book itself is non-political and it's left extremely open-ended. There's no reason giving, given for societal breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I came to early when I was trying to write uh, in 2010, when I first really tried to write, every concept, I guess, for a civil war on U.S. soil seemed politically driven. Yeah. And I didn't, not only did I not want politically driven, um, I didn't want it to be such a one-sided story. I wanted it to be something that anybody, regardless of a political view, could sit down and read and say, okay, I could see that. So it was very hard to come up with a concept to keep it non-political. It wasn't until two years later that it, it dawned on me, and that's right around when I started writing it, if if there was a civil war, would I actually know why the first shots were fired? Good point. I would know what the news told me yesterday, possibly even that morning. Mm-hmm. But I, we all know that the news is pretty much 99% one-sided. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, un- un- unfortunately, <laughs> you are you are correct. Depending upon, yeah. you know, what slant, what angle you really want the news to come from is yep. dependent upon what channel you watch, what podcast yes. you listen to, who you follow on social media, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because um, it's being fed to you in a manner in which they will, you know, hook you in and, and have you continue to come back because it meets your interests. And yep. um, I don't really like to watch the news, man. I try not to just because of that. I can't get the facts anymore. So it's um, been about three months. I used to get up every day and watch the news first thing in the morning. And occasionally at night I'd flip over uh, Tucker Carlson. I'd flip over to his program. And it's been about, I think, three solid months now that my instead of my morning cigar has been on the back porch with my coffee, with the sounds of birds and just ignoring the news. It's it's surprising how much happier (laughs) Um, because you're not you're not being dealt that early morning depression, which is the spin on everything i think that's the only thing they maybe all have in common is that they're all negative <laughs> yes oh god ungodly they can't, say, negative. they can't say even like for example cnn cnn cannot say something nice about biden or the democrats without saying something negative about the republicans and trump yeah and vice yeah. versa to be fair yes vice versa and it's like for love of god could you guys please say Just something stop. decent without? Yeah, say say something, something to bring. It. Say something to bring Americans back together as Americans. Oh my God! Yes, I mean, um, and that was that was one of the the realizations. And I gave the main character my personal thoughts around Chapter Three. That this war was possible because. Americans just couldn't get along anymore. Which is, which is a lot about kind of what it leads into, you know, at at the end of the first book, you really start to understand that like, Oh, we still don't know really what's going on, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. clear that there's factions, you know, there's groups of people just trying to survive and you know mm-hmm. because of some of the conflicts that you wrote about that um there's there's groups that don't get there's along, groups but um, there yeah there's going to be groups and there's there was a character written in who found himself forced to join a group that he wouldn't have necessarily joined with but it was that or he was going to be killed yeah Not you know <laughs> no so um 2017, this kind of starts coming together. Um, did you know it was going to be multiple books? Did you know, did you think you could get it done in one? What was, once you got the ball rolling, what did the developmental process look like? Oh, that was slow. <laughs> um, it took me, it took me about three years to write the first one. <clears throat> and a lot of it was, you know, I, I wrote the first couple of chapters um, and of course you need Wi-Fi to save anything in Microsoft Word anymore. And we're 
we were living at the time, we did, they didn't, there was no Wi-Fi. So I'd go get that little prepaid power pack and, you know, then my computer would want to update and all of a sudden I have no gig of gigs for, for writing. Um, and I'd write on the weekends when I was at hotels and, um, and then there were the times where it just, you know, I, I looked at it and I said, who, who, who wants to read this? Right. And I would stop. And about three months later, I'd say, oh, my God, I got this great idea. And I'd start writing again. Um, so it, it took longer than anticipated. The idea originally about halfway through, I said, you know, maybe I'll do five books. And when I got done with the second one, I have, I looked at it and I said, oh my God, I've got this set up without a doubt for the third one. I've got a potential setup hidden here for something that I don't even have to do ever if I don't want to. Um, but when you, when you look at it, it could really take on 10, 15 books easy. Um, and at this point, my, my feelings on it are the day it starts to feel like a job, then I'll probably just kill off all the main characters and start something different. Yeah. Just drop a, drop a nuke on everybody yeah. and just say, oh, yeah, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, volume one is very, um, has a lot of open-ended questions, tons of kind of, uh, cliffhangers, so to speak, because, uh, -huh. uh you're, you're left. And this is kind of really why I liked it was because for a majority of the time, you're left with a lot of questions and not a lot mm -hmm. of answers. You start to sprinkle them in along the way, but it's very clear that, you know, but towards you know, once you get three fourths of the way through, it's pretty clear. Oh, well, I'm not going to get any answers. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely no. a teaser. Um, did you ever think that maybe you could uh, make the books longer and combine parts, or was it deliberate where you cut it off for, for the second for, one? For book one, it was about two thirds of the way through. You had two of the main characters, they were making their way back to. Uh, their home base, if you will. Um, and the main character had that dream. And the minute I wrote the dream, I said, oh, I know how I'm ending this. And that's why I cut it off the way I did. Um, and as you know, from reading the second one, it's longer. Yeah. Um, and with the third one, I, you know, I actually paid a little attention to word count um, with the second one more so than I did with the first one, uh, because I definitely did want to make it longer, but I didn't want it to be uh, uninteresting either. Yeah. And I don't like books that um, seem long dread. because yeah. they want to be long. They want to be 450, you know, pages plus. Mm -hmm. Um you can tell there's a lot of filler in there. There's a lot of, you know, descriptions about the weather and the room and two or three sentences describing the scene every single time you walk in. And it's just, mm -hmm. okay, I feel like you're doing this just to bump up the word count, man. Like, get to the point. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I, I read books to be entertained, not to be, you know, put to sleep. Well, and it, it was a little different because of course it, it's told in the first person, both books, right. Um, more of a diary perspective, you know, you're seeing it through the eyes of one. There's obviously one main character yeah. surrounded by a few other main characters. Uh, but you're getting the story from him. And had I went more traditional storytelling, um, I probably could have, I could have had book one at that 400 plus pages because you'd have been getting stories from the city of Gold Beach and stories from, um, you know, the, the one guy who, who wound up having to join a group of not so friendly people. Um, but the diary perspective that kept it a little shorter and, and it was harder to fill pages that way too. Well, it would have been uh, a different, a very different book. Um, if it would have been in the third person where you told mm-hmm. it from, you know, everybody's perspective where, yeah, cause you definitely could have, you know, talked more about, um, you know, the prison, what was, go- what was going on outside of yeah. that environment. But I think, I think in a way it wouldn't have been better because that first person journalistic diary type of view is one person's account of mm-hmm. what's going on. And it leaves a lot of those questions unanswered, it leaves you as a mm-hmm. reader reading through it, wondering what the heck's going on. That's what it, it yeah. interested me was that, you know, I'm reading it and I'm like, this is very, you know, this is very post-apocalyptic walking dead civil war thing going on here. I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Did the government collapse? Was there a nuclear fallout? Like I'm, I'm, I'm questioning the whole time I'm reading it, wondering what the heck is going on, just waiting for answers to kind of roll through and it kind of slowly trickled in there. I think um, I think there's a tease in there knowing that not only does Will, Will's the main character, right? If I get yep. remember his name right. Yep. I'm reading so many books right now that I'm <laughs> my memory's <laughs> foggy. <laughs> but Will, you get his perspective, but you know there's so many other people. There's all his team leads, and that's just mm-hmm. a compound. You, there's so many more people out there down the road from the farm, um, his neighbors that he used to have. You know, there's a lot of questions if they're alive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who's by him? Where are they even at? Like, there's all these questions that I, I don't think you could have left unanswered if it wasn't no. the third person. I think that would have been, that would have been a, a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um it was interesting. It was, it was actually when I had first started writing it, I just started writing in the first person and I had a buddy of mine read chapter five. It was written in a notebook and I carry I carry a notebook everywhere I go. And I had him read it and he goes, Oh, first person. And I said, yeah, for now. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, you, you might want to leave it that way. It could be a little bit of a niche for you. Uh, and that's why I ultimately left it that way. Um, everybody, and what's what's neat about the story is you read Our War and, and Volume 2. 
And you yourself could write your own version of the book based on what you think, what your character's experiences would be. Yeah. Um, my best friend who I based two five on, um, he could literally write the exact same book, but from his perspective. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? I, I toyed with it possibly right, you know, possibly a spinoff and, um, more so with a character that was introduced in book two. Uh, after penning that character and I, I, it's racked my brain bad. And it's one of those questions that again was left unanswered. Um, so I've been developing the character so and maybe answer the question. Uh, but then I just keep wanting to tell his story too. So let's talk about the characters for a minute here. Um, where did the character of Will come from? How'd you find that one? A um, little bit of a, he, he definitely has a lot of similar background traits to myself. Um, with, with book one, there was a lot, a lot of the writing with book one, uh, quite frankly, was just trying to tell the story. I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. Um, I had taken, I hadn't read in forever. Um, so here I was writing a story that I really didn't know necessarily exactly what I was doing. I knew how to tell a story, uh, not quite necessarily like, uh, Jack Carr or somebody does. Um, so I, I took basis. I took my background for the character of Will. Um, other characters, other of the main characters, based on some friends, close friends. Uh, we've all had firearms training. We've all, you know, small military backgrounds here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to keep the characters basic. I didn't want any of them to be some uh, super CIA spy, Jason Bourne type thing, because that's those people exist, but you know, what's the odds of encountering them uh, in your lifetime during a post-apocalyptic event? Well, and it also lends to um, kind of the intrigue is you kind of wonder if these guys are going to make it, you know, you kind mm -hmm. of question their abilities, you know, obviously they've survived and they've got, you know, you know, they got the compound, you know, you, you reference Maine a lot. So there's a headquarters, like it's, it's obvious they've pulled through. You even talk about some of the, I think cattle and uh, some of the other little things they've done mm -hmm. um, to survive, but you just you still kind of wonder throughout while you're reading, you know, book one, how many of these guys are going to make it? <laughs> how are they going to, are they going to make it? What happens if they get attacked? Yeah. You know, are they going to make it back? They're getting all full ballsy going off on a mission. You know, you, yeah. you start to kind of, I don't know, almost be a critic of, of it. Yeah. But I think that's the entertainment value. That's why The Walking Dead went on for so long. You know, if and you it's think about so it, funny because everybody thought, oh, my God, did you watch that episode? No, no, I never watched a single episode of that. Oh, really? 
Yeah. And that's that's actually, it's funny because that's everybody's reaction when I say that. Really? You of all people? (laughs) Yeah. Because this is, this is kind of right up that alley is, you know, fortifying yourself, protecting yourself from a threat that you know nothing about or very little about, but you Mm -hmm. know that it is a threat and you know, you're limited on resources. So you make decisions based upon that. And that's, that's exactly kind of what the walking dead was, but what the walking dead did well was that even though it it kind of told the same story over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. you were, you just, no matter what the characters did, you always kind of questioned if they were going to be next, if they were going to actually pull out of it, if they're going to get attacked. So I think that was part of the intrigue of it. And, you know, I was talking to, I was at BoucherCon, you know, last weekend and I was talking to Kyle Mills. Um, It was awesome to meet him. Um, and for those listening, Kyle Mills is, he picked up the Vince Flynn mantle when Vince Flynn passed away and he does the Mitch Rapp series. Kyle Mills is a fantastic author, even better dude was totally cool with this time. And me and him, were talking about first and third person type of books and, mm-hmm. and who does it well. And, you know, Don Bentley does the first person really, really well. And the fact that he does his Matt Drake books in first person and then goes over and does the Clancy books in third person is really impressive, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it works. It works really, really well for Don Bentley doing the first person. And me and Kyle Mills were just talking about that. And he said kind of what I said a minute ago, there's some stories I don't think you could tell in third person. It wouldn't work. Yeah. And I think, I think our war is one of those books. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's an insulting way of saying it. I think that's a very complimentary way of saying it, that I wouldn't want to read this same story if it wasn't through Will's eyes, the main character. I've, I, I've thought about it, you know, even since I, even after publishing the first one, I thought, well, you know, what if I went back and, and, and changed it to that third person storytelling? And I just, it's, it wouldn't be the same. It just wouldn't. No, I don't think you get the camaraderie between the characters, um, which I want to talk about. Um, I want to know how you came up with some of the other team leads. I mean, um, but I don't think you'd get that that togetherness, that feeling, that that brotherhood that you kind of feel between them um, at all. So that that's my next big question is where did you come up with the rest of the team? Guys that I know for the most part um, took some personality traits, um, and I I I looked at it as a whole with the characters, and I looked specifically at, at uh, me, my friend Billy, and my buddy that we call Beans. Um, we as as firearms guys and outdoorsy guys were all strong in our own areas um the character of two five which i based on my friend billy he's a very bushcrafty guy he is i'm learning bushcraft from him (laughs) because i I mean i i went through boy scouts as a kid and i did military and there's just so much more to it that i i never knew about Mm -hmm. and so I've been actually for the last few years, you know, working my bushcraft skills with him to get better at it. Um, and, it, and that's where a lot of that came from was 
looking at the three of us and I said, and, and other guys that, that joined the team, if you will, uh, later on, I said, okay, what would happen if you took three ordinary guys or six ordinary guys in the case of the book and put them in a ultimate survival situation? Now, you know, what, what's more ultimate survival at that point than your country going to hell in a handbasket and, and, and killing each other in the streets? And there was, um, there was just, how do I say it? There was real life experiences put in there. Um, there, you know, there was one day at an IDPA match where I just completely missed target. And I said, you know, what would happen if that was a real world situation? Oh, okay. So I put that in the book. Yeah. You know, um, that's where the character will, he ends up getting shot yep. because he missed the target, you know, and that's exactly where that scene came from was an ITPA match hmm. because it, it's possible, Yeah, you know, not everybody, not everybody shoots like they do in the movies. Oh no, 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 not like <laughs> John Wick has missed before. They didn't film yes. it. <laughs> He's missed. Um, probably yes. doesn't happen very often, but. You know the best the best shooters miss. Um, it's just yes. perfection is a fool's definition of success. It just um, does not. It, and distractions, you know. And I added distractions. I added potential. Um, you know, when you've got a large group of people together and everyone's scared out of their minds, and what kind of problems can you have? You know, you're going to have family problems. And, and I, I emphasized some family problems, uh, especially in the first, I'd say, first half of the book. Yeah. You because... sure did. I feel bad for Will. I was like, no wonder he drinks and smokes so much. It's like, my God, he had two wives running around at one point in time. He's dealing yep. with his eggs, dealing with his wife, you know, just wanted to spend time with the kids. And, you know, like it was just problems mounted up. Every and it, it was around, funny. I was like, golly, this guy's got to be in counseling. When I, when I first, the first chapter were the introduction of his ex-wife. Um, it was, I originally, the, the, in the notebook, I wrote it as an ex-girlfriend. And I thought, no, you know, that's just not dramatic enough. Yeah. It doesn't have that annoying yeah. that that pettiness that that uh -huh. another problem type of yeah. vibe whereas the ex-wife and then a wife and they were both kind of similar in a way that they were kind of bickering at him so uh -huh. it kind of felt like he had like he was getting a double dose of the problem but you know him and his wife had those moments that were good times you know and they connected <laughs> but the ex-wife was still around i was like oh man uh-huh uh and it, drama, it, though like if you ask my wife, I'm a sucker for drama. I love dramatic television. Like it's it wildly entertains me. So when I when his ex wife walked in, I was like, "This is magic." And and how many and give that situation how many people? How many people have you talked to over the years who said, "Oh my God, if there's ever you know uh, uh, shit hit the fan scenario, I'm coming to your house." Yep. You know how many people have said this? So, it's not unrealistic to think in any way that people just are going to show up that are not going to get along with other people there. 
Oh, yeah, they, they know you, but they might not like the person standing next to you in, the, in that moment. Yeah, 100%. Very, very so, high possibility that you're in camp with someone that you don't like or eventually don't like and get along with, like just especially in a survivability scenario like this one mm-hmm. where there's a lot of you know, insecurity, there's a lot of unanswered questions, what's going on in the world. You know, there's a lot of worry just in their little compound about what they're going to do and how they're going to survive the winter and et cetera, et cetera. And that's just in this little compound on this farm. You haven't even talked about the rest of the state. Rest of the world. Country in the world. Yeah. So um, it definitely lends a lot of, you know, depth to the characters um but um what kind of what kind of research did you do for the first book to be truthful none um i again i've spent 30 years doing gun shows with my dad so i mean that puts me i started doing shows with him right around the age of 10 and when i was 18 i was on the road for him all the time and it was just me in the vehicle for, you know, four to 10 to 12 hour drives. And, you know, there wasn't satellite radio when I was doing all this. <laughs> so, you know, you didn't, you didn't always have uh, music to listen to or to shows or any of it. And it was not long after 9-11 that I wondered if it was possible uh, for the country to deal with another attack that was so bad that all the dark ponies came out to play and just started shooting each other. So I start telling myself these stories to entertain myself for a 12-hour drive down to North Carolina by myself. And you know, this week it was one one variation of that story. Next week it was another. The week after that was another. So when I sat down and started writing the book, this some of this is accumulation of, of things I've thought of over 20 years. Right. And then some of it was, okay, I need something to happen. Um, a, a fight between the wife and the ex-wife. Yeah. Um, I, I needed, I for whatever reason deep inside me. I needed them to fight over something. And then I made the fight funny. Yep. Um, from my perspective, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then it went back into a media drama. So some of it was for, for the book. Some of it was just right off the top of my head in the moment, but some of it was a variation of one story or another that I told myself, well, driving to North Carolina or Michigan or the other side of Ohio or New York or wherever we were going. And that was part one with author Richard Maverick discussing Our War Volumes 1. And we're getting ready to talk Volume 2, which will release the second part of this podcast on November 15th.